0: This program is made possible by BibleWaymedia.org overseen by the Ulog Church of Christ in Ulaga, Oklahoma. You're listening to Opening the Scriptures with Don Boyd. Welcome to the program today.
1: This is Don Boyd with the Moody Church of Christ. Wanna welcome you to Opening the Scriptures. You know, an old legend tells of a merchant of Baghdad who one day sent his servant to the marketplace. Before very long, the servant came back, pale, trembling, and greatly agitated. He he said to his master, Down at the market I was jostled by a woman in the crowd, and when I turned around, I saw that it was death that jostled me. She looked at me and made a threatening gesture. Master, please lend me your horse, for I must hasten away to avoid her. I will ride to Samara, and there I will hide, and death will not find me. Well, the merchant led him the horse, and the servant galloped away in great haste. And later the merchant himself went down to the market, and he saw death standing in the crowd. He went over to her and asked, Why did you frighten my servant this morning? Why did you make a threatening gesture? Well, death replied, That was not a threatening gesture. I was startled and surprised. I was astonished to see him in Baghdad, for I have an appointment with him tonight in Samarra. You see, each one of us has an appointment with death in our own Samarra, wherever that may be, or whenever that may be. So we want to ask the question today, and this is the title of the lesson. What is my attitude toward death? You see, my attitude and your attitude toward death can be answered and determined by filling in the blank in this sentence. And that is, life to me is blank. Fill in the blank. Well, let's use a few different terms here to fill in that blank. Let's say, first of all, <clears throat> life to me is wealth. The goal of my life is to get as much wealth as I can, and that way I can ensure that I have enough money to get everything that I want and, and to live comfortably, comfortably whenever I reach retirement age. Well, we have some examples of that in the Bible, secular examples as well. You you think about the rich farmer there in Luke chapter 12, and let's look at verses 16 to 19. Luke 12, 16 to 19. It says, And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully... And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. You see, life to this man was wealth. He had a wonderful bumper crop there of whatever grain it was or whatever he was, had planted, and he didn't have room for everything. So he made the decision, and you think about it, I'm going to tear them down and build greater barns. I need bigger things. You know, you, you look at it, that's the American way. We don't have room for everything here, so we have to build another barn, or we have to rent a storage building, or, you know, whatever it is, but we want to have these things, and we want to have a comfortable retirement, and he did as well. When he said, so thou hast much good laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. You know, that's the American dream, isn't it? We want to live a, a comfortable life. And then when we retire, we don't want to have to worry about wealth. You know, we put all this away. And, uh, well, looky there. I've got it made. I don't have to worry anymore. Well, another example of a man whose life to him was wealth. Is Solomon. Go to Ecclesiastes chapter 2 now, and you might want to keep a marker there in Luke 12. We'll be coming back. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, we want to look at verses 7, 8, and 9. Now, he's talked already about some of the things that he had gotten, but he said, I got me servants and maidens and had servants born in my house. Also, I had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. I gathered me also silver and gold and the peculiar treasure of kings and of the provinces I got me men singers and women singers and the delights of the sons of men as musical instruments and that of all sorts. So I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. And let's go ahead and read verse 10. And whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not from my heart any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion of all my labor. You see, Solomon here, life to him, he had everything that anyone would ever want. A wonderful life, all the wealth that he needed and everything there. And, you know, maybe a secular example like Howard Hughes, you know, life to him was wealth. He was a multimillionaire. Well, let's go a little bit further with that sentence we looked at earlier, life to me is blank. Well, then what is death to me? Well, if life to me is wealth, then death to me is to lose it all. You see, the rich farmer lost everything. Luke 12, verse 20 and 21. But God said unto him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You see, that rich farmer had everything there that he wanted and needed. He had more than he needed. And instead of being rich toward God and doing things that God would have him to do with that, like help the poor, help the hungry, things such as that, he was greedy. And he kept it all For himself. Well, we go back to Solomon again, back over in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, and we look at verse 11. He says, Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit. And there was no prophet under the sun. You see, right there, Solomon saw the emptiness of the pursuit of wealth. The pursuit of wealth leaves our life empty. Again, not being rich toward God. You know, you find that little phrase under the sun several times here in the book of Ecclesiastes, and it just refers to a life that is not focused on God. You see, at that point, Solomon's life was not focused on God. It was focused on everything that he had. And he mentioned his heart rejoiced in all his labor there in verse 10. But then he stood back and took a careful look, and his life was empty. All the material possessions he had, and his life was empty. And you think about Howard Hughes. Howard Hughes lived a recluse life outside of the United States until he died in 1976. A lot of wealth, but an empty life. When the stock market crashed in 1929, how many hundreds of people committed suicide because they lost it all? That's because life to them was wealth. So let's look at that sentence again now. If life to me is wealth, then death results in eternal loss. You'll Go over to 1 Timothy chapter 6, and I start reading there in verse 6. There Paul says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. Live a godly life and be content with what you have. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. But they that will are minded to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some covet it after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Well, So if life to me is wealth, death is eternal loss. So that would be my attitude toward death. Now let's look at another one. Let's say life to me is pleasure. My goal is to get all out of life that I can. You know, when I was growing up, there was that old beer commercial that said, uh, get all the gusto you can. Well, I want to do everything that gives me pleasure in this life. Well, let's go back to Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and look at that verse 10 again. He said, And whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy, and my heart rejoiced in all my labor. And this was the portion, or my portion of all my labor. So life to him was pleasure. And people... Live to enjoy the pleasures of sin. Look at Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. And we're going to begin reading there in about verse 23. Hebrews 11, 23 to 25. You see, people live to enjoy the pleasures of sin. The problem is the pleasures of sin don't last. They don't last very long. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 to 21, we see there a list of the works of the flesh. And people live to enjoy these pleasures, Verse 19, the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these? Verse 19 mentions sexual sin, but people enjoy sexual sin. Adultery, well, it's just a fling. Uh, Fornication, we love each other. Uncleanness, that's lustful, luxurious living lasciviousness, indecent bodily movements, unchaste handling of males and females. People enjoy dancing. They enjoy sex outside of marriage. They enjoy the thrill of these things. Well, look a little bit further. Those are sexual sins. The next two listed are sins against God himself in that worshiping something other than him. Idolatry and witchcraft. Would people get involved in idolatry or witchcraft if they didn't enjoy it? You think about the children of Israel. What was the first thing they did whenever Moses went up into the mount? They had Aaron build them a golden calf. Idolatry. And the people rose up to play. They enjoyed it. The pleasures of sin for a season. Continue reading there. These are sins against one another. Hatred. You know, it seems like some people just enjoy hating other people. Strife or variance. Having strife with others. Emulation means jealousy. Oh, we enjoy being jealous of somebody that has something that we wish we had. Wrath. People are enjoy being mad, strife, sedition, divisions there. Heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness. People love being drunk. Oh, you have? Oh, I had a blast last weekend. What'd you do? I got drunk. Well, what'd you do? I don't know. Revelings. Musical procession that includes drinking and dancing. People enjoy these things. That's why they get involved in them, (laughs) but they don't last. There is no permanent joy in sin. So, if life to me is pleasure, then death to me is disappointment. Again, Solomon, you go back to Ecclesiastes chapter 2, look at verse 17. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 17. He says, Therefore I hated life, because work that is wrought under the sun is grievous unto me, for all is vanity and vexation of spirit. His life wasn't focused on God at that point. And again, the pleasures of sin only last for a season, as we saw there in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 25. You know, they lead to eternal destruction. Galatians five twenty-one, The last part of that verse that I didn't read, he says, And such like, of the which I tell you before, as I've told, also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So if life to me is pleasure, then death to me is punishment. It results in punishment. Well, let's look at another attitude here. Let's say life to me is power. The goal of my life is to have power over others. Herod the Great was that way. Look at Matthew chapter 2 verses 1 through 3. Matthew chapter 2 verses 1 through 3. And then look down at verse 16. It says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born, king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and are come to worship him. When Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. He wanted to be the king of the Jews, you see. Verse 16, after the wise men had been warned by God to leave out another way, don't go back, tell Herod where he's at. It said, Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth, and sent forth, and slew all the male children here that were in Bethlehem and in all the coast thereof, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. So life to him was power. Well, how about an example, Hitler? Life to Hitler was power. He wanted to rule the world. Well, people want power. People want power at work. They want power at home. They won't power socially. They won't power politically. But if life to me is power, then death to me is helplessness. You see, Herod the Great died helpless of keeping his power. Hitler died powerless. People who want power will be conquered by death. Look at Mark 10:42 to 44. Mark chapter 10 verses 42 to 44. It says but Jesus called them to him and saith unto them You know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister, your servant. And whosoever you will be chiefest shall be servant of all. And then Jesus said, he he set the example, verse 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. So those who want power are going to be conquered at death. So if life to me is power, then death to me is defeat. Well, let's fill in the blank a different way. Life to me is me, myself. The goal of my life is to do what I want to do and to have people know how important I am. Well, let's look at a couple of biblical examples. One is Abimelech. Go to Judges chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. Judges chapter 9. Verses 1 and 2. It says there, And Abimelech the son of Jerubael went to Shechem unto his mother's brethren, and communed with them and with all the family of the house of his mother's father, saying, Speak, I pray you, in the ears of all the men of Shechem, When there is better for you, either that all the sons of Jeroboam, and that was Gideon, that was another name for him, which are three score and ten persons reign over you, or that one reign over you, remember also that I am your bone and your flesh. I'm your kinfolk. Look how important I am. Life to him was himself. He wanted the power going back to the previous Fill in the blank. Well, what about another biblical example, and that is King Saul, 1 Samuel 18, 6 through 9. 1 Samuel 18, 6 through 9. It says, It came to pass, as they came when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistines, that the women came out of all cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tabrets, with joy, and with instruments of music. And the women answered or sang one to another as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Verse 8, Saul was very wroth. And the saying displeased him, and he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed the thousands. And what can he have more than but the kingdom, and Saul eyed David from that day in forward. So what was life to Saul? Himself. Life to Saul was himself. You think about Abimelech, you think about Saul, you think about those around us, or maybe even ourselves people are proud look at me look how good I am look what I can do look what I have done so if life to me is me myself then death to me is humiliation you see Abimelech Died in humiliation. Go back to Judges chapter nine now. Judges chapter nine, and let's begin reading just past where we at were at a while ago. In verse fifty, it says, "Then Abimelech or went Abimelech to Thebes and encamped against Thebes and took it." But there was a strong tower within the city and thither fled all the men and women and all they of the city and shut it to them. In other words, they got inside it, they shut it up, got them to the top of the tower. But Abimelech came unto the tower and fought against it and he went hard unto the door of the tower to burn it with fire. He had already done that back in Shechem and he killed You look at the end of verse 49, about a thousand men and women. He set that tower on fire. So he's going to do the same thing here in Thebes. But verse 53 says, And a certain woman cast a piece of millstone upon Abimelech's head and all to break his skull. Then he called hastily unto his young man his armor-bearer and said unto him, Draw thy sword and slay me, that men say not of me. A woman slew him. And his young man thrust him through and he died. Abimelech was a proud man in life. He was even a proud man in death. A woman dropped a piece of that millstone down on his head and broke his skull. And Abimelech wasn't concerned about God, he wasn't concerned about eternity. He was concerned about his legacy. You kill me. I know old people going around saying, a woman killed me. Yeah, humiliation. King Saul died in humiliation. Go to First Samuel chapter 31, 1 Samuel chapter 31. Verse 1 says, Now the Philistines fought hard against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell down slain in Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines followed hard upon Saul and upon his sons, and the Philistines slew Jonathan and Abinadab and Melchishua, Saul's sons. And the battle went sore against Saul, and the archers hit him and he was sore wounded of the archers. Then said Saul to his armor bearer, draw thy sword and thrust me through therewith, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor bearer would not, for he was sore afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell upon it, and when his armor bearer saw Saul was dead, he fell likewise upon his sword and died with him. So Saul died and his three sons and his armor bearer and all his men that came that uh, that same day together. Saul died in humiliation. You see, some people are just full of themselves. Abimelech, Saul, hopefully not us. But when we're full of ourselves in this life, we are going to be emptied of ourselves in our death let's look at a few verses go to proverbs chapter 6 verses 16 and 17 proverbs chapter 6 verses 16 and 17 it says these six things doth the lord hate yea, seven are an abomination unto him what is the first one a proud look Someone that is full of themselves. And then he goes on, A lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. But we're looking at pride. In Proverbs sixteen eighteen. Proverbs 16:18 Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. In Mark chapter 7 verse 22. Mark chapter 7 verse 22. Start there in verse 20 to get the context. And he said, That which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. So what he's going to give here are things that defile the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. Pride defiles us. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, look at verse 6. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6. It says there in the qualifications of an elder, not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Even an elder in the church can be lifted up with pride and be lost. And then 1 John 2 16 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Silly human pride. So, if life to me is, is myself, in other words, I'm proud of me, then death to me is disgrace. Well, let's fill in the blank one other way. Life to me is Christ. The goal of my life is to have Christ living in me. That was Paul's desire. Whenever you look in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, it says there, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. You're know, right there. We, we have the, the statement there, as we've already seen. If life to me is Christ, then death to me is great gain. But let's look at another one. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul said, For I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So life to Paul was Christ. Christ lived in him. Christ lives in the child of God. And people who have life or Christ living in them. Lay up their treasures in heaven. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 21. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 21. Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So you think about that last statement. Where our treasure is. Going back and looking at the wealth of the rich farmer. The wealth of Solomon the wealth of Howard Hughes, the wealth of those who committed suicide when the stock market crashed almost 100 years ago. They laid up for themselves treasures on earth, and those treasures were corrupted. But if we lay up our treasures in heaven, our heart's there. You see, the rich man's heart was on treasures on earth. Solomon's heart, treasures on earth. Others, treasures on earth. But we need to lay up treasures in heaven. Those treasures never go away. People who have laid up or who have Christ, put it this way, living in them, live their lives to please God. Not myself. But to please God. In First Thessalonians chapter four, look at verses one and two. First Thessalonians chapter four, verses one and two. Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God so you would abound more and more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus." So right there, we are to walk and please God and do it more and more and more and more. And in Colossians, look at chapter one, verse 10. Colossians 1, 10. King James' Version puts it this way: that ye walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. That word pleasing there, you look it up in the Greek and it means a desire to please. Walk worthy, appropriately. The New King James Version puts that verse this way, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing. Now, the word "him" there is in italic, so that was added by the translators. But fully pleasing, that could refer to mankind and God. Being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Also, people who have Christ living in them rely on the power of God. Not the power of ourselves, but the power of God. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Paul wrote, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. So the gospel is the power of God, and we rely on that. In 1 Corinthians, look at chapter 1, verse 18. 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, verse 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. In verse 24, the same chapter, but unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. We rely on the power of God, and we've seen it's the gospel, and. We see here is this Christ, the power and the wisdom of God. And then look at 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively or living hope, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance. Now notice this inheritance. It's incorruptible. It doesn't ever decay. It never decays. Undefiled, it's pure. It fadeth not away. It doesn't go away. It is perpetual. Reserved in heaven for you. The word reserved there means guard it's guarded there. Now, for who? Who are kept or guarded by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Well, people who have Christ living in them live humble lives. We're not proud. We live humble lives. Matthew, chapter 18, verse 4. Matthew, chapter 18, verse 4. Whosoever, therefore, shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You want to be great in God's sight? Humble yourself. In Matthew 23, look at verses 11 and 12. Matthew twenty-three, eleven and 12. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. Over in James chapter 4. Look at verse 6. James chapter 4, verse 6. It says there, But he, God, giveth more grace. Wherefore, he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. And in verse 10, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. The American Standard says, He shall exalt you. So don't be exalting ourselves. We need to humble ourselves before God and before mankind and let God do the exalting. Those who have Christ living in them love the Lord and keep His commandments. John chapter 14, verse 15. John chapter 14, verse 15. Jesus just simply said there, If you love me, keep my commandments. The American Standard Version puts it just a little differently. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. You see, if we don't keep the commandments of Christ, he says right there, you don't love me. Well, as long as God agrees with me, then that's okay. No, If God and I disagree, I am the one that's wrong. That's always the case. In 1 John chapter 3, look at verses 22 to 24. 1 John chapter 3, verses 22 to 24. It says, And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, that be asking in prayer, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. So really and truly he's telling us right here, this is how we must live to have our prayers heard. We keep his commandments. In 1 John chapter 5, look at verses 2 and 3. 1 John 5, 2 and 3. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. We can't say we love one another if we don't love God and keep His commandments. Verse 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. They're not grievous. They don't cause grief. So, if life to me is Christ, as Paul said in Philippians 121, then death to me is great gain. If life to me is Christ, then death to me is victory. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 Look at verses 57 and 58. 1 Corinthians 15:57 But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says therefore my beloved brethren be ye steadfast unmovable always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So each one of us has our appointment with death in whatever our samara may be. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27, where it says there, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. So, the way we live our lives determines our attitude toward death. If I live for physical wealth, my death will result in spiritual poverty. If I live for physical pleasure, my death will result in spiritual disappointment. If I live my life for worldly power, my death will result in spiritual ruin. If I live my life arrogantly, full of pride, my death will result in spiritual humiliation. But if I live my life for Christ, my death will result in eternal life. So you have to have the right attitude about life in order to have the right attitude about death, but you also must have the right attitude about death to have the right attitude about life. So ask ourselves the question, life to me is what? Well, again this is don boyd with the moody church of christ i want to thank you for tuning in to be with us today and we look forward to being with you next time
0: when you're in moody missouri you're invited to visit the moody church of christ located on highway e in moody missouri the congregation there meets on sunday morning at 10 a.m for bible class 11 a.m for worship and then again at 6 p.m for sunday evening worship they also meet at 6 p.m on wednesday night for bible study we well, thank you for tuning in today we hope you enjoyed this program